Hey everyone, it's Chris Hewitt here with a very special message, two very special messages actually, uh, ahead of this week's Empire podcast. One is of course, first off, an apology uh, due to a technical issue beyond our control. We weren't able to get you this week's podcast uh, to your podcast listening app of choice, whether that of course is Acast or iTunes or Stitcher. Other podcast listening apps are available. It was on SoundCloud, but nowhere else. Uh, And for that, we do apologise. It was totally beyond our control. Our podcast hosting service, we just switched recently, uh, went down on Friday and they couldn't get it back up again until Monday. So apologies for that. We were as frustrated as you are. Uh, But as a token of our goodwill, please accept this oral voucher for one free Empire podcast. So you will now be able to listen to next week's Empire podcast completely free of charge. What, you didn't know that we were charging you guys all this time? Oh, that's that's awkward. That's weird. Anyway, never mind. It's all going to be fine. And the second thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is that this Empire podcast is brought to you by Rakuten TV, your cinema at home. Yes, that's right. Rakuten TV releases Hollywood movies direct to your smart TV or device with no commitments. Unless, of course, you're watching The Commitments, in which case there are commitments. Uh, You can just rent or buy your favourite movie. If it's The Commitments, that's totally fine. Other movies are available. And you can do that whenever you like. And with the widest 4K HDR film catalogue for smart TVs in Europe, Europe, Rakuten TV strives to provide the best audio and image quality, delivering a realistic cinematic experience in the comfort of your own home. So sit back, listen to this podcast, enjoy it, and then after that, who knows, watch the commitments on Racket and TV. Okay, that's enough for me. Take it away. Empire Podcast this week, we say hello to Ringo Starr. Blimey, what a legend. Oh, no, sorry. Gringo Starr, David Oyelowo. Well, that's still damned impressive. Plus, you were never really here. Director Lynn Ramsey was really here to talk about her new film. All that, plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has finally caught up on sleep post-Oscars and is raring to... Good joke. (laughs) Solid joke. Nailed it. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, Helen O'Hara is off to Iceland in search of hot geezers. Uh, so it's time for a big old swinging sausage fest around the microphones. Sausage number one belongs to the most most famous person I know. He is he is a friend. He is a colleague. He is a neighbour. He's also the star of the fourth biggest film of all time. It is, of course, Edmund himself, Nick DeSemlian. Hello, Chris. Thank you for reading that off the sheet of paper I prepared for you. <laughs> uh, don't look in the eyes. I didn't, no, look at, I, I didn't look at you at any point. Did you notice that? I did. I'm looking at you now. Uh, it's like a million suns. Don't. But brighter somehow. I'm oh, well. I'm well. Uh, it's good. I wasn't really interested. <laughs> uh, uh, time for... Uh, I'm going to give the other sausage a huge build-up. Um, hey, James. You are right. Hello. It's James Dyer. Thanks. James Dyer, everybody. Look, That's good. Yeah, That's here, good. Here he is. Yeah. Have you recovered from Shape of Water... Winning things. Uh, from wa- the literal Watergate, yeah. <laughs> shape of Watergate. The uh, <laughs> shape of Watergate. I have, I've calmed, I have, I've, I have... Uh, we had to put you in a flotation tank. Yeah. I had a nice long bath for several weeks I sat in there and... Uh, really? It was only a Monday. Really? Yeah. Did Michael Shannon put you in the bath? 
He did, yes. He was kind enough to, to lift me in when I was having difficulties. <laughs> did you see this thing that Michael Shannon watched the Oscar ceremony in, yes. his, in one of in his Chicago. local bars in Chicago. in Chicago? Did he? Yeah. With the sound off. With the sound off. It was just like some sort of bar with, which they put the jukebox on and played tunes and he was just sitting there with a beer nursing a brewski. It's a great image. And watching the... Uh, yeah, someone took a picture of him, which... He's on his own. Feels slightly intrusive, but I guess he's okay with it. And uh, he was watching the Oscars and it's on mute as well, which I guess is appropriate. Shape of Water. Um, yeah. Have either of you... Uh, been watching the TV show Marcella with uh, Anna Friel. Of course I haven't. I'm of, of course behind, it's a TV show, I forget. I'm behind um, on MasterChef. I'm behind on Four in a Bed. And I still haven't finished all of Save Me. So I will get to this Marcella. Well, she has, uh, her character has dissociative amnesia where she blacks out and can't remember anything. And that's exactly how I feel about our Oscar podcast. I remember absolutely nothing about it. Nothing. I have blacked it out. What happened? <laughs> Well, James, I'm glad you asked. If uh, only if, there was a document. <laughs> yes. If only there was some kind of audio recording. <laughs> could answer that you could find this out. Uh, yeah. And you can. You can, actually, James. Thank you for, for that. Uh, you can listen to our 30-minute long post-Oscar sleep-deprived special where Jimbo and I and Ben Travis sat around my kitchen table and hashed out to the Oscars and none of it makes any goddamn sense. Uh, even less so than a regular podcast. But hopefully it's a lot of fun. So I left my sandwich out. in your fridge. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Or? No, That's not a euphemism. No, no I literally euphemism. left my sandwich in your fridge. It's probably still there. So many snacks were left in my, mm. my flat. Uh, I provided quite a lot of snacks. I have to say I was quite generous. My largesse was legendary, but uh, uh, everyone who came around also brought a lot of snacks. Mm. But, sorry, you know. sorry to derail the irrelevant conversation about your, <laughs> your sandwiches, but um, did you guys see the Lonely Island Oscar track? Which no, I haven't released seen it yet. this week. Um, I suggest everyone go online and watch it. It's very, very funny. They, they were, I don't know oh, whether is they... It? It is. It is. They were asked. I don't know whether they were asked to do it or whether they volunteered to do it, but they um, prepared a song to be played at the Oscars with lots of famous people in they it. They were asked, yeah. And um, in the end, it turned out not to be possible, but they basically have put up a temp version of it, and it's got uh, the Chris's, Hemsworth, Evans, all those guys <laughs> doing doing a sort of chorus together. They've got um, Vin Diesel doing a verse. They've got Michael Fassbender singing about the snowman. Um, and... It, it, this this temp version are no, they doing the voices? Lonely Island are doing the voices, okay. so they didn't get as far as getting the actual people. And I, I don't know whether Fassbender would have been up for it. Of course, Fassbender would have been up for it. He would have been. Yeah, yeah. He knows anyway, this snowman blows. It's very funny. I wish it had happened. It would have been the best thing at the Oscars. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Should we have a question? Yeah, if you like. Should we push on? Let's push on. Uh, so the question is, and it comes from email uh, from an entity known only as Alan, because <laughs> I didn't note his full name so hi Alan uh, he says Dear Empire Podcast that's us thank you very much uh, please can you play Desert Island Director this is where you kidnap a director and take him to Desert oh no this is like Desert Island Discs but instead of choosing your favourite songs you have to choose one film director only their entire body of work will be your only entertainment during your sandy solitude who do you choose and why great question Alan I don't I can't believe we haven't answered that in six I, years. I, are you sure we haven't? I'm having a weird deja vu moment. Even if we have, <laughs> let's pretend we didn't. I would pick a prolific director just for variety, possibly. But if I weren't, if I were just going to go for someone I really like and whose films I could watch again and again, it could only be James Cameron. All right. Which is the answer I gave the last time we did this, even though we may not have done this, but in my head, did... in the dream that I had where we answered this question. I don't think we've done this. 
specific yeah. question like you're on a desert island yeah but i would, don't think we've done that yeah. would that not torment you because you would watch avatar but you would know the story is incomplete because you haven't got the final 49 films <laughs> that's true that's true and what is going to happen whatever happened to mother awa what has happened to jake suli I, I mean it would be dangerous on a desert island because i'd end up trying to plug myself into various animals you know uh <laughs> and a I crab. I'm, I'm fairly certain that I would end it, badly i think if you're on desert island for a prolonged period of time <laughs> and you're on your own it's inevitable you end up trying to plug yourself into animals it's just it's just what, it's what happens fair enough the abyss um, would give you some good um, I'm, just, I'm going to call Helen and just get her to shake her head and go as your lawyer also I, I think James Cameron's films would kind of put things in perspective because people have a bad time generally in those films yeah. and so you'd be going okay I'm not doing well I'm on a trapped on an island but I'm doing better than the people in the abyss I'm doing much better <laughs> than the people in Titanic you know it's actually not that bad yeah so that's a solid choice. That's good, but it's only um, it's only a few films. But, it's, it's only. Do you take Piranha Two? No, no, that's not, I don't count that. So you don't take Piranha Two, okay? That's but I, I might if I didn't take that. I might take like the whole Lost box set. You that's, know, just no, no, to no, put no, things no, in no, perspective. No, 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 no. Can I? I can't do Alan that. Alan has been very clear. <laughs> you have to choose one film director only. I know, TV boy, that you frown upon the greater art form that is cinema, but oh, Alan, you're a nevertheless... <laughs> Don't insult Alan. Alan is not a bellend. Alan is your friend. Alan, <laughs> Alan is, your is friend. not my friend. Alan has specifically stopped me from me, bringing Lost to my desert island could, and we shall have words. Oh, wait, I've just looked up his name. His name is actually, weirdly, Alan Q. Bellend, so <laughs> go for it. No, it's not. Alan, we love you. <laughs> You could pick Robert Zemeckis, and then you would get cast but, away. But you, you would also get, you know, you would also get, you'd have to watch the Mar- Polar Express. Mars Needs Mums. Um, did he direct that, or did he just, did he direct that? I can never remember. Did he direct Mars Needs Mums? No. <laughs> he produced it, though. He produced it. He might it. as well have. Well, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But, you know, you get the Back to the Future trilogy. You do, yeah. Um, are you going Zemeckis? Are you, are you choosing Zemeckis? Of course not. Of course, of course not. Maniac, what do you mean, of course dude. not? Because here's the thing, right? Because here's the thing with Semekis. You start off really strong, okay? So you get like Romancing the Stone, used cars, Romancing the Stone, I want to hold your hand. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Beatles later on, I sense. I've got a weird sense that we're going to be talking about the Beatles later mm. on. Uh, uh, you, you've got obviously the Bandit Future trilogy, you've got Death Becomes, you've got Roger Rabbit, you've got all that great stuff, okay? Maybe it gets a little bit flappy in the middle with all the mocap stuff that nobody likes. But you finish strong with Flight and Allied... And those those are the gifts that keep on giving. Uh, yeah, Semekis all the way. You're either a Semekis or a Semekis isn't. <laughs> I could watch Gump a fair few times on a fer- oh, on a on a, no. on a desert no. island. It you know it has a sort of and I, uh, bear in mind that I am the enemy of all things whimsical, and I yet enjoy that film. When we saw the horror that was Chevy Chase versus Mike Reed uh, live um, in January this year, Chevy Chase claimed that he was offered the part of Forrest Gump and turned it down. Which seems unlikely, doesn't it? Does, it? it doesn't seems, it? especially that <laughs> unless unless you were trying to get Forrest Gump off the off the ground for a long, long time, because Forrest Gump comes out in 1995, and by that point, 94. You're right. It was. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the 95 Oscars, where of course it, it uh, beat Forrest Gump and uh, Shawshank, beat Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Forrest Gump beat <laughs> itself. Sorry, I'm having a shocker here. Anyway. You know what I mean. So it comes out in 94. Chevy Chase, I mean, the last big film he probably did around the time was Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and that's a couple of years earlier. I don't think he's being offered Forrest Gump at that point in his career. Doesn't mean he wasn't offered it early 90s or late 80s. Mm. It wouldn't have worked with him. And it might not have been Semeckis at that point. It might have been just going around with another director. It's so far from his persona as well. I totally don't get it. He's not even Lieutenant Dan. 
he'd have been an interesting Jenny, but I don't hmm. think I don't I, I don't see it. I can see Forrest Gump with Bill Murray weirdly. Can you? I think now? I can if he play, if he played a much more muted. Right. I can kind of see that. Yeah. But um, not with Chevy. Okay. All right. But um, anyway, but are you saying some megas? No, I'm not. I'm I'm gonna be boring and I'm gonna pick Spielberg because come on, come on. My favourite film ever is Raiders of the Lost Ark, and mm-hmm. he's made some other pretty good films as well. That's a very good choice. And, of course, loads of films. Here's an idea for you, Nick. Uh, you pick a director who's got loads of films, you take the DVD covers, you strap them together, you have yourself a raft, you get off the island. All right. Thought about that? All right. You yeah. haven't thought about that, I can see. I would go... Again, I want to have, you want to have a director who's done a lot of films. You don't want to go for, say, a Charles Lawton. You don't want to be watching Night of the Hunter on a loop forever. That would just make it go nuts. Um, you want to have... I mean, I love John Carpenter, so I might go for John Carpenter. But again, that means that the last few films get a little bit skew-whiffy. Uh, I think I would go for um, this guy called Marv. You ever heard of this guy? Uh, Marv, El Cinematic Universe. Uh, I would go for him. He is a little-known director... He's done some films, kind of commercial, but not really that well seen. Sometimes he makes three films a year in a year. He was quite prolific. This Marv L, Marv Marv L, cinematic universe, uh, and three films. He's very prolific. Yeah, very very good. I would probably watch that. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, I might have changed my mind about Spielberg. <laughs> Jaws, Jaws would mean that I never well, go anywhere near the beach. Um, and given I would be living on a beach, yeah. that would be stressful. He got Hitchcock as well. He got all sorts of Hitchcock. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, that was a good question. Thanks, Alan. You, are, you have unbellended yourself. You are no longer, you are not a bell end. Can we be absolutely clear about that, James? No, because. Unless there was like a, a Dharma bunker on the island which had a DVD player and a decent sound system, frankly, you're bollocks either way. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, someone tweeted me the other day going, Helen brought a touch of class to last week's podcast because I didn't host it and Helen stood in it last minute and hosted it. And, I, you know, I listened to the podcast because I, I edited the podcast and I, I have to say, she did. She brought a, a touch of, of restraint and elegance and class to it. And I said to the guy, don't worry, I've got that sorted and here you are, you festering idiot, calling one of our beloved listeners, Alan, a bell end, and doubling down on it. Yeah. This wouldn't have happened if Helen was here. She wouldn't have stood for it. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. We are, of course, on Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as well. Not that anyone does, and frankly, we never check it, but uh, Empire Magazine on Facebook. And you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Right, time now for our first guest. Uh, he is a man who is one of Britain's best actors. He brings his sense of gravitas and seriousness to the likes of Selma, the butler and more recently The Cloverfield Paradox, and many, many more. But this week he tries his hand at something new, comedy, in the fun thriller Gringo. He is, of course, David Oyelowo. And uh, I went along to speak to him the other week when he had a a lovely window. He's shooting Les Miserables at the moment in Belgium, would you believe. Came back to England to talk about this movie, and we spoke about all manner of things from his attempt at screaming in Gringo to playing his Gringo character as a Nigerian. Uh, and the sea change that is happening in Hollywood with regards to race, with Black Panther at the forefront. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed talking to David. Oh, sound levels. Sound levels are not great on this. Uh, my fault entirely. I had a microphone snafu and it went a bit wrong. And I fiddled around with it as much as I can. I whacked it through all sorts of 
levelers and all sorts of, you know, the technical stuff. And so there's a slight recurring, almost a beeping throughout the interview, but hopefully our voices will be loud enough so you won't hear it that much or won't be bothered that much. So here you go. Now you can enjoy. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Gringo, David Oyelowo. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. And you've just you've just come all the way from Manchester, so you must be you must, you must be destroyed. <laughs> I have come from Manchester in the snow, but I was in Brussels before then and LA before then, so I'm a bit bleary eyed. But it's great to see you, Chris. Oh, you're you're old charmer. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, good to see you as well. And uh, I really enjoy Gringos. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Make me laugh a lot. Which, and this is no disrespect, is not something that I normally do in one of your films. If, 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 I'm, if I'm completely honest, was this something that you wanted to do to kind of think outside the box in a way in terms of your career and do something that, that was a comedy, essentially? That's 100% correct. Um, I, I am more known for my dramatic work and that stuff I love to do. But, you know, I felt it was time to change things up and, and I was looking for a comedy. And the truth of the matter is you read films that are supposedly comedies. And, and if they're unfunny in the reading, then the chances are they're going to be unfunny on screen. And this is something I found genuinely laugh out loud on the page. It wasn't written for someone like me. The the, the original character was called Harold Salinger, uh, not Harold Shoyinka. But uh, when I sat down with Nash Edgerton, uh, thankfully, he embraced the idea of me in this role. And not only that, but with time, you know, I introduced the idea of maybe him being a Nigerian immigrant. And that really kind of opened up the film even further. So, uh, so yeah, this is definitely the kind of opportunity I'd been looking for for a while. So, so that, talk me through the, uh, the the script reading process. Uh, do you laugh out loud? Are you a laugher when you when you read a script? And uh, at what point do you know in this script that okay, I want to do this? Well, generally speaking, you're 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 you know within about ten pages of reading a script whether this is going to be a waste of your life um, to <laughs> to continue reading, and um, the 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 the. The moments you know that isn't the case is certainly for me as an actor is when you start envisaging yourself on the set making the film or as that character. Um, but even beyond that, when you are being genuinely moved or, uh, made to laugh or, you know, any kind of emotional reaction that is visceral and real and unexpected tends to be a pretty good indication that this is a very well written script. And, you know, the, the point for me, where I was just locked in uh, to this script in particular is some of the absurdity of what happens to Harold <laughs> once he gets to Mexico. I just thought this feels completely outlandish and yet somehow what would probably happen if someone were to find themselves under these circumstances. And so I just found it very fresh, very original, and I, I envisaged myself under these circumstances. Because you, you don't know where it's going. It's, it's, it's a rare film. I had no idea what was going to happen to your character. Uh, I didn't expect the multiple decapitations that happened to your character in this. That was a bit of a shock. Um, but you don't know where Harold's going to go. You don't know where some of the other characters are going to go. Uh, was it like that when you were reading the script as well? That, oh, okay, I'm suddenly on page 89 and I have no idea what's happening here. Well, that's exactly it. You know, so often about, I don't know, 15, 20 pages in, you're already, because you have a trained eye and ear, you're going, oh, 
okay, that's going to happen. Oh, it just happened. Oh, that's going to happen. Oh, I see. It even happened earlier than I thought it would. You know, it's, 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 that's what's going on. That never happened with this. It just kept on taking twists and turns that were unanticipated and unexpected. And if you're having that reading a script, then, you know, boy, what, what must that be like by the time it gets to the, to the screen? And that's one of the things I'm proud of in terms of the film is that I think even we've accentuated that feeling as, as you're saying of, of not really knowing where this thing is going to go next. Uh, so you're reading the script and does it specify in the script that Harold screams? <laughs> because you, you uh, scream about three or four times in the film and each time made me laugh a lot uh, because it's quite, it's quite a... <laughs> It's quite a singular scream, I would say. I pitched, yes, it, 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 it is. I worked on that scream, Chris, and I'm glad you're pointing it out because, uh, you know, that's some of my best work. Uh, um, no, you know what? One of those moments is, uh, you know, Harold has a fear, a fear of needles, which I share with my character. Who doesn't? Uh, and so, yes, the scream there is what I'm normally doing internally when I'm at the doctor and I'm being injected. And I just have had the cathartic experience of getting to express that now for all ages vocally. Um, but yes, I mean, when you watch the film and you see some of what Harold has to endure, I think you'd scream too <laughs> if, if these things happen to you. But it's, it's, I mean, the scream, David, it's so, I mean, it's not just a, ah, it's not, it's not, it's not that. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen Gringo, obviously, and I don't want you to replicate it here because, you know, no, <laughs> I'm not paying you. To my agent. I'd have yeah, to pay you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, do you, did you sit at home the night before and practice it? <laughs> were you, were you, did you drive your poor wife insane? Like, David, will you stop screaming for the love of God? <laughs> You know what? That was one of the most amazing things about doing this film is, you know, the, the, Nash allowed us to improvise. He allowed us to push things. And, um, you know, getting to do some of these things, scenes with Charlotte Copley, who's an incredible just force of energy. And he brings so much unexpectedness to his from take to take in terms of, you know, his, his portrayal of this character. So, so sometimes it was just literal reactions to, to unexpected things happening. But also, you know, one of the other times I scream in the, in the film is I got terrible food poisoning during the shooting of the film and then had to go and film this car crash where I'm being tumbled around in a car. And so the combination of food poisoning and being basically put in a what Washing machine will uh, basically <laughs> sounds come out that I I just have to apologise about. That's all I can say. As long as that's all that comes out, because <laughs> exactly, you just imagine your fellow actors going, "No, please, 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 no." Yes, yes. Let's not give pe the people that image now, Chris. Thank you. But as you mentioned, so the the script comes your way, and uh, Harold. And the movie wasn't Nigerian. Was that because of your own upbringing? Did you want to make him Nigerian as, as a tribute to your parents in a way? Or you know, because it was an accent that you could do? What was, what was the, the thinking there? Well, you know, when you see the film, you'll see that one of the attributes of Harold is a degree of naivety and he trusts people to a fault. And I didn't want that to be misconstrued as a bad quality or just, uh, you know, uh, stupidity. 
I saw that quality in my parents, them being immigrants to this country, to the UK. And it was simply a byproduct of being a fish out of water. You are having to trust that people will do what they say they'll do because you're outside of your comfort zone. You're also coming to a different country full of hopes and uh, and dreams that you hope are going to be met. And more often than not, you get kicked in the teeth. And, um, you know, that's certainly the case with, with Harold in this film. And I wanted that to feel grounded and rooted in something real. And so my own experience of both watching my parents go through that and now myself and my wife having emigrated to the, the, the States and, and and, and had a, a degrees of that ourselves meant that I could just see that working well for the character. He's such a he's such a sweet character. He's such a sweet nature character. It, it is, it's 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 almost bad to drive enjoyment from what happens to him <laughs> and, and watching what happens to him. But uh, but I I, I was also uh, really intrigued to see that you were playing him as as a Nigerian, and um, I, it just feels to me that we're in a really interesting moment. I don't know whether that's something that would have would have happened five years ago, ten years ago. Um, obviously, we're in a situation where Black Panthers just come out, and that's a movie. With, you know, that set in Africa, primarily in Africa, with you know, with black British uh, actors and African American actors playing Africans. I don't know if that would have happened five years, ten years ago. Um, from your perspective, what's your take on that? I 100% agree with you. I think we are in the middle of a very genuine sea change. I think with time, this is a, is going to be a time in history that culturally is going to be talked about as as a moment beyond which things were never quite the same again. And I've been someone who's been quite cynical about saying that in the past because we've seen flurries of activity that then abate and then go away. But I think the combination of Oscar So White, Me Too, Time's Up, all these uh, cultural moments of outcry against injustices, whether they're to do with representation or sexual harassment, I think they've been not only um, uh, embraced by uh, the my industry, but the culture. And if an audience is going to vote with their money severally over a film like Black Panther, they are basically sending a message, a cultural message that these are images they want to see. And you simply cannot do the numbers Black Panther has done if it's a quote unquote black movie. That's a movie that has just gone far and wide and, yeah. and people are enjoying the world over regardless of their culture, regardless of their color or creed. And, um, I think in, in a world where, uh, the victims of sexual harassment, uh, are not, are no longer being the ones being penalized for, for speaking out, but the perpetrators are. That's also marks a sea change yeah. and, and bolsters the confidence in people, not only to come out and, and speak their truth, but a degree of accountability within the workplace that men have to have as well in calling each other out. And so I think that those, those things, the audience voting with their, their pounds and dollars, uh, the, the nature of how people have been victimized for speaking against injustice and how that that has now changed I think means that we are basically gaining a new way of thinking about the world and thinking about each other culturally. I mean from, from your perspective you've been living now in uh, LA and Hollywood for how long? A few years? Yeah, nearly 11 years now. Yeah. Okay, so, so a decade. I mean it, it, obviously we don't have a lot of time but and it's, a, it's a big subject to get into but from your perspective how has it changed in, in that 11 year period when you first arrived in Hollywood to now? 
Well, you know, a film I did, Selma, was part of what instigated the Oscar So White movement. Yep. And we had that two years in a row. And I commend the Academy for making real changes to the demographics of that organization. And I think it's now reflected in some of the films we are seeing celebrated, even, you know, this coming Sunday at the Oscars. I don't think Get Out would have been a film that would have had four Oscar nominations five years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's a byproduct of not just an outcry by people like me within the industry, but, you know, Oscar So White was a public hashtag. That was, you know, the, the populace uh, or the population, I should say, saying, eh, we're not feeling that. We don't want that. And so definitely I've, I've seen a change since then. And it's been a huge privilege for me to be part of uh, uh, bringing about change because uh, things had to change, you know, and also in terms of representation, a film like Black Panther that is not reliant on any white characters. And that's not even the point um, is, is something that uh, I think is incredible. I mean, Disney, you know, of all the companies is, is one that has really led this charge. A film I did with them, Queen of Cartway, was the, a film the likes of which, you know, you don't get to see every day. And, and, and then now we have Black Panther, but you also have them backing Ava DuVernay to direct A Wrinkle in Time, um, you know, with a young black girl at the center of it. I mean, this is a very exciting time. I remember years ago, Ava and I talking about having done this tiny film of ours, Middle of Nowhere, <laughs> uh, you know, talking about when are things going to change? And so to watch her doing Wrinkle in Time, for me to have the opportunity to be front and center in Gringo, to look at Daniel Kaluuya being in both Get Out and Black Panther. I mean, I worked with Daniel when he was 16 on a tiny British film called Shoot the Messenger here. And so it's just really amazing to see, to see this happening in our lifetime in a very real and robust way. Uh, I've got to let you go, but I just want to ask uh, one last thing. Are you, have you become a member of the Academy in the, in the, in the, in the intervening years since we spoke? I think? Yes, yes, I, I am. I'm, I'm now on the, uh, ironically, I'm on the selection committee of, of, of new members. So uh, <laughs> if you want to join the Academy, you can grease my palm freely. Well, what will it take? I mean, I mean, I'm technically not allowed. I haven't, I haven't created anything, but what would it take? We'll see what we can do. We'll see. Let's, let's talk once the mic isn't on. You know, I, I can sort you out. This could be incriminating. This could be used as evidence in court, so maybe I'll just delete this bit. I'm certainly hoping it is. <laughs> and then the last thing, David, is uh, there, last year you were at the Oscars. Yes. A little mix-up happened. Yeah, a little snafu. A little snafu. And there was a photograph taken. <laughs> And you're in this photograph uh, of uh, people realizing that the snafu is, is happening. Yeah. What, what are your memories of that? The thing people don't realize is that it was way more surreal in the room than what you saw at home. This is what I saw. I was sat on the aisle. Jimmy Kimmel was sat next to Matt Damon. He was about to do a bit with, with, with Matt Damon that I think was going to be making fun of him. And he had a donut in his hand. He had a sticky donut in his hand that was going to be part of this bit. And I literally, when you see my eyes, that's me realizing something was going wrong. Looking over at Jimmy Kimmel, who has got his mouth wide open, holding a donut in front of Matt Damon's face <laughs> as he's going, I've got to get back on the stage. And so, you know, the surreality of that moment was just so much more pronounced in the room. 
Oh man, amazing! What what a time to be alive! <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. It is fantastic, uh, David Oyelowo. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you, man. Okay, so that was David Oyelowo, and uh, let us now f- talk about the week's movie news, not the Oscars. That is taken care of in our Oscar special, which you, of course can hear right now if you download it. Uh, so let's start somewhere. Where should we start? Well, because Helen's not here, let's start with Lin Manuel Miranda who is going to be in his Dark Materials. Is he now? Yes, the BBC version of which? The BBC version of the film that sunk a studio. Yes, uh, the BBC are doing... I'm reading it as we go, because actually I don't know an awful lot about this. But the BBC are doing his Dark Materials. And it's sort of tying into the Lin-Manuelness of it. Uh, You've also got um, uh, X-23 is going to be in it as Lyra Bevelacqua. X-23. Yeah. She she has a name. name. Daphne Keane. Daphne, Daphne Keane yes. will be in it as Lyra, okay. which is a pretty nice bit of casting, I would say. Who's Lin-Manuel Miranda going to play? I'm, I'm Alexander Hamilton. Okay. Desperately trying to work it out from reading this uh, this story. Who is going to voice the polar bear? Well, maybe it's he Lin-Manuel He wants to ride me. You wish to ride me. My polar bear gets on my back immediately and come down to the North Pole. Actual dialogue. Come down to the North Pole. Go up to the North Pole, Lin-Manuel will be playing balloonist Lee Scoresby, a role that I absolutely don't remember from reading the book 20 years ago. Um, But I'm sure it's a great part. He's a balloonist. Yes. What does a balloonist do? Um, Wrangles balloons. Yes. Yes, presumably so. Uh, And Lyra, whose surname I horribly butchered earlier, Belacqua, uh, yes. is uh, is obviously the start with the, and it's got little demons in it and there's bears with armour and stuff um, we should also mention as well this is being directed this is an eight part adaptation it so is. I don't know whether it's an eight part adaptation of the first three books or whether it's just the first book well this has kind of kicked off on Twitter hasn't it it's like people assumed that that would be just Northern Lights or the Golden Compass depending on where you are in the world but now people are worried that actually that's the whole his dark materials over eight episodes, which seems rather rushed. It does seem rushed. Uh, eight hours, because they were talking about a trilogy beforehand. You yeah. know, the film version of The Golden Compass came out a few years ago and was terrible. And nobody <laughs> liked it, so they didn't make any more, which is quite refreshing. And this, of course, is directed by Tom Hooper. Oscar-winning director Tom Hooper. Yeah, because that maybe indicates that this is really prestigious and really maybe that you know the BBC, and I think they have other partners in this as well, are really throwing the cash at this. I mean, so. they need to, because it has to be... that You can't do it without making it quite effects-heavy. I mean, just the mm. very nature of it. So, yeah, it's not going to be cheap to make. It's controversial, but I do not much care for the books. I've read the books and did not enjoy them. Um, so I'm not that excited for this, to be honest. But, James, you're more of a fan. No, well, weirdly... No, one of my great shames is I read Northern Lights and I read The Subtle Knife and I never read The Amber Spyglass. I just, I didn't, like you said, it didn't draw me in. That's the one where she goes and talks to God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it all gets quite apocalyptic. But I, so I don't know how it ends, but it's one of these things I've been meaning to reread it because I know that it's a brilliant series and everyone's raving about Book of Dust, you know, the new one that's come out. Uh, And yet I feel that I have not quite understood, appreciated. Yeah, I'm on the outside on this one. But I'm very excited to see this. Yeah, so am I. And the good thing as well, apart from the excellent casting, is that this is preventing Tom Hooper from making Cats. (laughs) So he is also at work right now on an adaptation of Cats. Oh my goodness. Which is, I mean, I haven't seen every musical ever produced, obviously, but of the ones I have seen, it is the worst. But it has one good song... (laughs) Uh, if memory serves, bit of a pun there because it's called memory. Uh, but the rest of it is just 
Jellicle bollocks. It's just absolute nonsense of the highest order. And I'm not sure there's someone... I mean, Tom Hooper is noted for his sense of whimsy. So he does seem like the good, a good fit for it, but I'm not so sure. I'm You're so more sure. of a dog person. That's a problem, isn't it? This is true. Mm. This if is it was true. Tom Hooper's dogs, you'd be, you'd be barking. <laughs> Let's move on to Star Wars. Mm. So the, the, the live-action uh, Star Wars TV series is going ahead with John... Favreau. There was some hullabaloo Actually. yesterday about this because the announcement was made on International Women's Day and people got, uh, some people got affronted by the fact that they were announcing that another guy is directing another Star Wars film. <laughs> on International Women's Day. I mean, it's not the best timing in the world. No. But, Are um, we excited? I mean, I'm, I'm incited. I'm, I'm incited. I'm incited by, no, I'm excited to see Fabs doing this. Uh, not half as excited as he seems to be. It's a cool thing. It's the first you know involvement he's had with this universe. Mm. I'd be I'd be interested to see what he does with it. It's I, I'm interested to see also what this series is going to be because they're clearly now not using any of the sort of Star Wars underground material that kind of Ron Moore and a load of people did sort of way back in the in the noughties. They were like they did like fifty episodes or something they put together before that all got shelved. You know, and that by all accounts from the people I've spoken to who have seen bits of it. it you know, shaping up to be quite extraordinary. So it seems like we will never get to see that at this point. And we're going to see something entirely new. Mm. Uh, and since Rebels is essentially coming off our screens, basically, it's either this week or next week. Well, it's pretty finished, imminent. It's finished now. Did it finish this week? It's, yeah. Right, finished, fine. So Rebels yeah. has now come off our screens. Um, Not here, know, I don't think, but in the States, definitely has. This this is now the future of Star Wars TV. So, Well, I think Dave Filoni is going to do something else as well. He's been talking quite cryptically yeah. about what he's going to do he with does Rebels indeed. and some of the characters who are still time. knocking around in Rebels. Mm. I need to catch mm. up with Rebels, actually, because I really liked the first season and then I just mm. stopped. Uh, but apparently it's fantastic. People are going nuts for it, saying it's the best iteration of modern Star Wars. Not to pour a, a blue milk over this, but I have two, <laughs> I have two concerns. Uh, one is that the last time John Favreau did something involving aliens, it was the film Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> um, a classic. Yes, in a way. In a way. No, no in no way. I've reconsidered. Oh, it's come not, on. It's not a good film. It had Harrison um, Ford as Francis Woodrow Dollarhide. Dollarhide. Woodrow, Woodrow Dollarhide. Dollarhide. Who's Francis Dollarhide? Oh, he's the killer from Red Dragon. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a very different version. Are they related? Cowboys and Aliens. Um, it had a very good cast, but it was... It's a weird, that film. It was massive the year it came out, and it has vanished. I don't remember anyone talking about that film. Uh, I don't remember the last time it was on TV. It's just gone. But equally, equally, could it be like Anakin and uh, an Obi Wan go to Canto Bite, you know, and it's all so money, and they hook up, you know, and it becomes a whole sort of like swingers in space thing. You're so credits, baby. You don't yeah. even know it. And Zafura, and Zafura was pretty good. But my other concern is just overexposure to Star Wars, and I think we're already getting, you know, multiple. We're getting so many films now. And if there's live action on t- TV as well, I just worry it's too much of a good thing. Nick, yeah, ask anyone, there's nothing wrong with multiples. But here's... Like you would know. <laughs> here's the thing, though. You don't have to watch it all. I'm a big fan of the the, the famed uh, art house directors we talked about early on, Marv L. Cinematic Universe, but I don't watch everything that's on the small screen. No, you uh, don't. This fascinates me that you don't watch everything because you are such a Marvel lunatic and yet you don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Did you watch Agent Carter? Uh, first season. Yeah, and you don't watch uh, the, 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 um, the, the Inhumans. You haven't seen all the Netflix ones, have you? No. You, no. Watch, the, the, you watch the Inhumans religiously, though. I, 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 three times a day. 
a four if I can really squeeze it in. I uh, love the Inhumans. Phenomenal effects. Uh, great characterization. <laughs> really good stuff. Uh, no, I, I skipped the Inhumans as well. Uh, Jessica Jones season two starts this week, uh, which reminds me I need Drop to finish today. Jessica Jones season one before I can really get into that. Uh, How did you not finish it? Jessica Jones is one of the better ones. I didn't... I, I just... It didn't compel me to come back. But what is it about the films that draws you in that They're the TVs don't? <laughs> Let me just stop you there. They're good, and the TV shows are not good. <laughs> That's not true. Some of the TV shows are not good. Some of them are good for bits, and some of them are, let's be honest, terrible. I will grant you, here's the thing. There's too much. Nick's right, it's too much. There are five seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and it's about to maybe be cancelled as well. So there were, I read a story this week that it's mm. it's... it's in the bubble or on the bubble or whatever the Americans say over there. Who knows? It's you know, our language, but they prefer it beyond all recognition. And so... Former uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Former Agents... Yeah, so there might be no more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's still five seasons to catch up with. I really enjoyed Agent Carter, but I just... I don't know, the second season just passed me by. Also, I think I knew it was being cancelled, so there's that element of, well, what's the point? What's the point of me watching this because it's been cancelled? And, and, of course, there were many shows about people cooking things that you needed to watch, so... <laughs> And 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 B and B owners <laughs> saying the same shit in every single episode of Four in a Bed, and yet we still watch that. And the Netflix shows are, by and large, not good. So the difference, the difference for me between Marvel and Star Wars, if you're going to make that comparison, is I was. That- that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the difference. The difference for me is that. Marvel stuff is set in our universe. You're never going to get bored of Earth. You're never going to get, you know... Star Wars is in a very... I have been to Earth a few times. But, you know, Star Wars is in this universe, and part of the magic of that universe is is you only get to visit there every now and again. And if there's a TV show that's just there, and all the aliens are just popping up, and I I don't know, I just... I worry that there will be an overexposure in the way that there isn't with this. Star Wars started out as one film every three years, and then, obviously, nothing for 16 years, and then nothing for a decade after that. And now, if you swing a bantha, you'll be... you'll hit something. We're at one a year at the moment, and judging by the stuff in development, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some annual overlap on Star Wars films Mm -hmm. in the not-too-distant future. And yeah, you do risk you do risk hitting the saturation point, and and frankly, getting sick of it. Well, how many I mean, times? I won't, how many times can you watch people going into hyperspace, you know, hyperdrive until it becomes like getting on a bus? If they do it like Laura Dern every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we talk about something else. Uh, I'm sick of talking about Marvel. So let's talk about the fact that uh, Avengers: Infinity War has moved its release date. This happened just after we went to pod last week where Disney suddenly brought forward the release date of Avengers Infinity War by a week. But only because Robert Downey Jr. asked them to, spontaneously. He completely, off the top of his head, out of the blue, because he's a nice guy, he uh, tweeted Marvel Studios on Twitter going, well, naturally, he he tweeted them on Facebook going, hey, guys, I'd like to see this a bit earlier. Uh, Can I bring some friends? And they were like, yeah, of course you can, Bobby. And then they were like, well, how about the whole world? Can can I bring the whole world? And they were like, yes. And then they went, Avengers Infinity War, out April 27th, everywhere. And I got really angry because (laughs) we had a week, a one-week period where we, we had that one week of happiness where we were better than everyone else and mm. we had Avengers Infinity War. Like we and had then, our own time gem. And then it was just plucked from us. But it's been given back by a day because it is now opening in the UK on April 26th. Day of Grace. Take that, America. I'm wondering if you're going to be able to speak when you come out of the screening. I, you, you're just going to be like... <sighs> honestly, honestly, I uh, I do have worries about Infinity War. 
Uh, we'll talk about it as it, as it gets closer. But you know, I worry that it could be too big. It could be too unwieldy to to work uh, as a movie. I I I, I hope it, it all comes together and has a, a cohesive narrative that actually works as a film rather than every two or three minutes. Oh my god, that char- character is talking to that other character, which is the the danger that it it, it could be. But I'm excited. I you know I'm still excited. I I can't wait to see what Thanos does with the stones. Oh God! I knew this was coming. I wasn't fully prepared for it, but go on, do it. Prepare yourself. Do it. Can you imagine what Thanos would do with the stones, James? No, no. Before, yeah. can, can I just can you, lead into this? Can we yeah. lead into this and say, Oh God! Just for for our listeners at home, yeah, this is what working at Empire this week has been like every day. Mm. So this this is a small sampling of what it's like for me and Nick to endure having to work with a person mm. such as Chris on a daily basis. <laughs> Carry on. All right, so we know that uh, in Finishes Infinity War, Thanos is he's going after the stones. <laughs> what would that be like? Yeah, Keith, oh, there's a bird called Thanos at the door. He wants the stones. Oh, you, oh Thanos, you can't always get what you want. Oh, yeah. Oh, Thanos. God. I really wish that was the actual plot. I really wish that the Thanos is really wish, the Rolling Stones. I really wish Chris can't find Charlie Watts Jagger Chicken Dance translated to audio. <laughs> oh Thanos, you can't get no satisfaction. Oh. But yeah, so Avengers: Infinity War is about Thanos hunting down the members <laughs> of the Rolling Stones. I, I, honestly, if it was, that would be amazing. That's the credit scene right there. That's the second sting. <laughs> we want to form a super bang. He has to get Sting oh. as well. <laughs> <laughs> make this film please yeah. someone make this film please make this film oh, um, my word. what else have we got news wise um, David Chase David Chase is doing a Sopranos oh, yeah, prequel yeah, movie yeah, yeah. this is something that I didn't see coming which is odd because he's been banging on about it since he finished the series uh, he's had this idea for a while but um, so it's going to be called The Many Saints of Newark and it takes place in the 60s when African Americans and Italians the tensions between them reached boiling point and lots of violence broke out I don't have a lot of detail on this, but given the timeline, you know, we can certainly expect I would have thought to be seeing some familiar faces uh, in this. And by familiar, I mean presumably different actors, but some familiar faces from the show. Like, you know, could Paulie Walnuts be there? Could Tony's father be there? Could Uncle June be there? Even a young Tony on a trike. I've got worries about this. I do have worries (laughs) about this. Even if this is not specifically about Tony, which I'm told it's not going to be. No, it almost certainly isn't. Which is good. I just, those characters and those actors are so perfect how are you going to find someone else to play Paulie Walnuts I mean come on I mean he probably won't I just I have a I, have, I just wish no, I'm would. sure you're right but I just why link it to the Sopranos at all why not mm. make it something else and if you want to have a little some links fine but coming out there and saying it's a Sopranos prequel terrifies me because there are very few good prequels yeah yeah there are very few I, I think that's fair you have that prequel pitfall don't you of we know the characters are going to be still around when the yeah. Sopranos is on so mm-hmm. You know, we know they're going to survive. Mm. So where's the tension come from? I don't, I don't know. It's David Chase. You've got to trust him mm-hmm. to an extent. Not directing it, though. Which int- Not directing it. Yeah, I thought he would direct that. And it's a movie, isn't it? Not a TV show. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's it is a movie. movie. Yeah. So let's say Tony Soprano. That's, okay, that's, so when, when does that show start? Well, in yeah, 99. So it starts 99. Mm. Let's go back to the 60s. Let's say he's 40-odd. Mm. It's in the 60s. That means he's going to be about six or seven yeah. At best. So, I mean, look, he's not going to kill a lot of people. <laughs> um, but don't underestimate him. John what? Williams. Where? <laughs> I can't believe I got that laugh. <laughs> oh, God. No, John Williams uh, is, is nine and out for Star Wars, apparently. 
He is hanging up his baton. Well, not. He's hanging up his lightsaber-shaped baton. He's not going to be doing any more Star Wars scoring after episode nine, apparently. This is, as he has said, he's done with episode nine. That will be the last. Well, this is this is intriguing. Oh, God. I should stop saying intriguing. Sorry. Uh, but this is mean, because my... You know, I've said this in the podcast before. I wonder if they're wrapping up the Skywalker saga with episode nine. Yeah. And this is why we have all these different things going on, and they're just going to spiral off into new territories and new trilogies and all sorts. Yeah. Uh, and so it makes sense. Because anyone else but a John Williams scoring a core mm. mothership Star Wars film would feel wrong to me. Yeah, I mean, but I don't know. My, like my biggest issue with the Clone Wars, the film, the Clone Wars when it came out, was that it had no Johnny Williams in it. Uh, you know, as 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 is well documented, my had issues no with uh, guitar. <laughs> my issues with uh, Giacchino's Rogue One score are, are uh, many <laughs> and varied, um, and it bothers me that he, like Star Wars, is so quintessentially John Williams. It makes yeah, me uncomfortable. But, I mean, but then the man is one hundred and fifty-seven years old, so you know you got you got to come a little bit slack. But also, we're getting to the point now where there are going to be so many different Star Wars movies. As we talked about, there's at least five coming out in August alone. Mm. Uh, that there will be different people scoring stuff. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, Mackenzie Davis to star in Terminator Reboot. <laughs> Terminator <laughs> Reboot is, in fact, the name of the film. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, this is a film that I don't feel that people are ex- sufficiently excited about. Yes, we had this conversation in the office where you berated me. I told James that yeah. he had to start being more excited for it. Um, because... It's a James Cameron Terminator film, and I know he's not directing. Tim Miller of Deadpool directing fame is directing, but this has got James Cameron all over it. I believe he's written the script or co-written the script. We should be excited. I can't imagine he had an awful lot of time to get involved in that script when he's doing 38 separate Avatar movies. (laughs) That's gone down. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I I mean, I imagine he sort of cast an eye over it, like did like a galley proof on it or something, but I'm not, I don't, Really? There's a Hollywood reporter, uh, there was a Hollywood reporter cover story about it. And um, they talked to Tim Miller and, and James Cameron and talked about just how much time he has spent on it and how involved he has been. So I believe that. I don't believe that he's just, you know, got an email and half read it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and Arnold's coming back. They're saying it's a direct sequel to Terminator 2. I, yeah, I have concerns, but come on. It starts filming in June. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, 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 I'm. I'm concerned. I'm I'm concerned that Arnold's in it. Obviously, I love Arnold, but you know, I saw Terminator Genesis, um, and no, just like the whole pops thing. I mean, I just no, just make it stop. I just I'm. It makes me uncomfortable. Look, I love Cameron. I love everything everything he does. And if he has come up with a fantastic idea for how to make this work, I mean, when I interviewed him, actually, he um he did say that he found that that idea of what you would do with that you know, uh, T-800 Schwarzenegger character, the idea of what happens when the machine ages with its organic shell, you know, how does that work? He found that quite captivating and he wanted to do something with it. Yeah, and technology but, has moved on. There's been so much, It's you know, it fills with Alexa, which apparently I was reading an article yesterday about how Alexa in people's houses just suddenly starts laughing in a really creepy way out of nowhere. Apparently they've got a glitch with it. So lots of people have had this just horrific blood-curdling laughter like going through the house from Alexa. I don't do it. see Siri and stuff. So I think it feels <laughs> like it's a good time for another Terminator film. What other things have happened? Have other things happened? Other things must have happened. Other things have happened, James. We should absolutely uh, extend our best wishes for a speedy recovery. In fact, I think he's, he's recovered very speedily already. To Kevin Smith after his yes. recent heart attack. Yes. Which uh, really threw me for a loop. Kev, we're glad that you are... I'm not going to listen to this, obviously, but if you do listen to this, 
Uh, we are very, very glad that you are still with us. Yes. Uh, what did we think of the Mary Poppins Returns teaser trailer with our good friend Lin-Manuel Miranda in there and Emily Blunt at the end saying what, one or two lines? I thought she was better it. in Guardians 2. <laughs> He's making a Yondu joke, I believe. Oh... Was that not clear? Sorry. No. It wasn't clear to me either. <laughs> oh, fair enough. My bleak humour strikes Blunt. again. No. I know, I was thinking, I was, I was going, that was Elizabeth Debicki. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, so the, the thing with Mary Poppins that kind of baffles me is, so I first saw this, I mean, I haven't watched a trailer, but I've seen a trailer assemblage and footage at D23. And when it came on, the assembled however many thousand people went absolutely fucking mental. Like, in a way, they didn't when the Infinity War trailer came on, and in a way they didn't when the Last Jedi cast came out. And admittedly, the D23 crowd is pretty heavy into Disney. But still, I mean, there's a massive... This film, I think, will make a colossal sum of money. Um, I, I mean, it's not my thing, but shit. It will. And we'll soon be getting one Mary Poppins film a year, at least, <laughs> plus a spin-off TV. Yeah. The Poppinsverse. The Poppinsverse is about to explode. The MPU. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I and also just the thought of a big musical, ballsy musical Disney film. I just yeah, it's going to make all the money. It will make all the yeah. money in the world. Rob Marshall scares me a little bit. He's he's friend. Once you get to know him, he's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> once you marshal Rob, you're totally fine. Uh, he scares me a little bit just because. Um, oh, why is it? Because he's made terrible films, <laughs> but <laughs> he also made Chicago, which I quite like. Another thing it has to live up to are the amazing songs of the first one, which has belter after belter. If you thought the Greatest Showman soundtrack has belter after belter, you ain't heard nothing yet because it's got all sorts of stuff going on there. It's got supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's got Let's Go Fly, Kite. It's got that... Chim Chim Churu and other yeah. songs about made-up words. Oh, which a jolly holiday with Mary. He's got that one. It's good. Yeah. Spoonful of Sugar. Yes. Fuck me. I think that was a euphemism. <laughs> Now that's what I that's what I call Mary Poppins. It's so good. So can these songs be as good? Yes, yes, they can. All right. <laughs> uh, there is one last thing in that Corn Hardy, friend of the podcast, mm. uh, at long last, his version of the Crow, which has been close to the starting line and then hauled back at the last minute, um, is finally going to happen. It has a release date. It is going to come out next year, apocalypse permitting. 11th of October 2019 Corn Hardy to direct Jason Momoa as Eric Draven the crow himself mm. how do we feel happy, happy? Very, a yeah. very different crow <laughs> I love how you've just come in today and you're just summing things up and then stop talking <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say about that you are talking in headlines <laughs> yeah well yeah. no it, it's an interesting thing isn't it because obviously the, in James Obar's comic he's, you know, he's, he's a relatively slight normal looking immortal clown faced killer ghost person uh, and Brandon Lee while well, he could you know, start some shit. Uh, you know, it wasn't a huge guy, whereas Jason Momoa is Carl fucking Drogo. Do you know what I mean? He's like a man mountain. He's aqua fucking man. <laughs> he is, as you say, the man who talks to fish. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a very different uh, version. I think I love Alex Proyas' film. I really, really love it. I mean, it is flawed, but I, I think it's fantastic. So this gothic masterpiece. Uh, masterpiece is a very strong term, let me say. And it's a gothic fairy tale in many ways. It's, um, it's a movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie. It's, a movie it's definitely a movie. It has some gothic bits in it. Let's, but, let's um, get on some firm ground here. It's a yeah, movie. It's a movie. Alex yes, we've established the facts. Okay. Uh, and Brandon Lee is in it. Ernie Hudson's third best film, 
I'm you saying think? you're saying third. After Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters maybe two. second. <laughs> Ghostbusters, okay, Ghostbusters two, Congo, original Ghostbusters, <laughs> then this. That's yeah, number fourth. Four. No, we're saying four. Fourth best film yeah. in that order. Yeah, I would go with that. Okay. Um, Michael Wincott's got to be one of his. Yeah. Michael Wincott. I'm not a Crow uh, fan at this point in my life. I, I have not seen a Crow film I particularly enjoyed, but I do very much like Corin Hardy. I thought The Hallow was excellent and very creepy and imaginative, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it. Ditto, ditto. Uh, more power to the Crow's elbow. Uh, and that is it. That's it. That's the whole movie news, right? Uh, we're done. We're done. Because then we should have our second guest. All right, time now for a second guest. It is seven years since Lynn Ramsey last directed a film. She came... <coughs> <coughs> Michael Wincott, fuck my voice up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Michael the guy of Gisborne, the sheriff's cousin. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry about that. The, the Michael Wincott impression was impromptu and took, uh, took it out of me. Did you know he wants one a whole load of uh, nursery furniture? <sighs> it's been seven years since then Ramsey last directed the movie, which was, of course, we need to talk about Kevin, but she's back, back, back with Joaquin Phoenix thriller You Were Never Really Here, and it's like the Glaswegian filmmaker has never been away. She spoke to Helen last week about You Were Never Really Here and <clears throat> Ezra Miller, the star of We Need to Talk About Kevin, his rise to fame since. Uh, but first... They need to talk about Joaquin. And I will say that uh, listen out for Helen's accent going full Northern Ireland here in the presence of another Celt, which made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, Enjoy. So welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Lynn Ramsey. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, So your new film is out this week, I think, as you're listening to this, um, which is You Were Never Really Here. There. Here. There. Ah. Um, so, so, I mean, tell me, you know, how did you, how, why this book? What was it about the, the book that appealed to you? The novella, I suppose. It's quite a short thing. Uh, it, I just read it really quickly and thought it was like, you know, really exciting, um, but especially the main character. But it's, it's a bee, a pulpy bee novel, I guess. Jonathan Ames would say that as well. Um, but he's a wonderful, he's really a great writer. I mean, he's like, he does great comedy and he does great, great tragedy. And, and since that, I read some of his other books and there's another great one called I Pass Light Night that where it's like kind of Holden Caulfield gone more wrong, like catching the you know, <laughs> And I think he just he really knows the city underbelly of New York. You're like, Jonathan, where have you been? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what have you, you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's seen, he's seen like... Uh, all sites in New York, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how did you? What was it about Joaquin Phoenix that made him right for this? Because this is not something we've seen him do in a while. Any kind of role like this? I don't think he's ever done anything like this, and mm. I think that terrified him. And I've never done like this, and that terrified me. And but also was a you know we love we love a challenge and um <laughs> and um yeah, it's like he's he's a really sensitive guy, Joaquin. So to see him become this big brute, you know. And physically change like the hunchback in Notre Dame, like during this, you know, because he came really early to the prep, and you know, he was, you know, it was like becoming this thing. His shoulders started becoming different. He was walking differently, and and so to see this thing evolve, this character in front of your eyes was it was super exciting. But I think he's got a kind of a femininity about him as well. He's got a kind of like sensitivity. He's got a vulnerability. He's like, um, you know, this. 
he brought a lot of dimensions to it, you know, like we were certainly not doing the six pack guy, you know, <laughs> in this, you know. Um, no, he's a big, heavy, sort of a bear yeah. of a man, isn't he? He's more like the beast. Sometimes there's a couple of shots we were, takes we were doing, I was like, God, it's like the devil coming after me, you know. Um, so it was this way he get any character, like, yeah. But he, yeah, no, I used that. I think he was like really building up his physique, but not in that kind of cut gym like way. Um, but almost like I think it makes him really scary in this film and then the next minute you've got a bit of you know where he's singing a song with his mom you know what yeah. I mean like so it's, it's a bit you know it's, I think he could jump from those all those aspects of this character and I think he was able to you could never predict what he was going to do next which is really exciting to watch yeah. you know yeah. no he apparently said that on the on the first phone call that you guys had mm-hmm. um he didn't really understand anything you were saying yeah because he didn't get he the <laughs> i mean did he by the time by the end of the shoot was he was he speaking fluent glaswegian no he still doesn't understand oh, yeah. me <laughs> <laughs> or he says he doesn't <laughs> when he feels like it yeah. right yeah, that's, yeah. that's a useful that's a useful get yeah, out of jail i do him. the same to him i say you what was that you're saying you're mumbling yeah <laughs> Um, he once he once said in an interview to me that he he doesn't watch his own films. He never watches himself yeah. on screen. Is that is that still true? Yeah, and I kind of get why, you know, because um, for me, I don't really watch my films after I've cut them. You yeah. know, so Ratcatcher for the first time in twenty years, like about six months ago, which is weird, you know, but <laughs> fun. You know, did you good. like it? I did actually, because I hadn't seen it that long. It's like. Uh, it was nice. It was with a bunch, you know, with some uh, American film institute students, and so mm. it was like it was really, you know, lovely to see what they made of it. And, um, but yeah, I get that in the sense of um, for him, the process is when he's making it, you know, and that's he's in that process, and that's what's really exciting for him. Once you finish that process, that's that. Yeah. And I'm kind of like that, but my obviously my process goes you a know, bit longer. Goes a bit longer, you know, and you've seen it many more times, but. But I don't know. No, I, I think I think for him it's the work, and yeah. I think that's why he's not so interested in speaking about it. It's like that's what excites him, you know. Yeah. And he can't. He's not any analysing it. He doesn't really know why. It's just an instinct. It's mm. like sometimes it's just like I don't. I, you know, I don't know. You know, like he doesn't like to do that kind of those sound bit, bites that sometimes actors do. You know, a little bit how how they went through all this manifestations of this and that and blah blah, blah for the roles. He wouldn't sort of tell you that. Yeah. But he does. You know, in yeah. his own way. You know, so. Yeah. yeah, I heard that the the very first day of the shoot, um, mm. you ended up jumping in the pool with him for oh, for a water shot. Is that is that true? <laughs> well, I don't think it was the first day. I think the first day I turned up, like got out of the car, set up the camera, and started shooting. He he said, uh, "What do you mean by shooting?" <laughs> I think we just started. I think everyone was running because the first few days, the first day especially, you try and make it a little bit lighter for people yeah. to get into their jam or whatever. And I don't know, we kind of started as we went on. I mean, I kind of literally set up the camera and started shooting, you know, wow. and um, everyone was running going, no way, you know, let me shoot. And um, and I think that just like kind of set the, the, the energy for the shoot because um, I knew we'd so little time. Um, and then, the, the I don't know, we were shooting that scene. That was really special that evening because it like that scene came out, uh, Jonathan Ames telling me he used to hang out at the, Rus- the Russian baths in New York in the, the exact place and you know, his photos up in there and stuff like that. And it's this kind of grotty, you know, like smelly, sweaty, you know, uh-huh. bodies everywhere kind of place. And it's this kind of, you know, very New York. And um, But it wasn't in the book or anything like that. But I knew when we were shooting that there was just something magical happening. Mm. And it was just like, and I think the crew felt it. I mean, I was just, I was... I felt so excited and stuff, but it was like you know, like I could feel like, oh my god, this is this is this is great. Just watching them, um, mm. that doesn't happen all the time, and you know, and, and so 
really mesmeric. And and then there was he asked him to get into this pool, and it was there was things floating in it. I don't know what they were, but you <laughs> don't really want to know. It was the end of the night, you know, kind of thing. Um, there was some dodgy characters still hanging about, but. But I could see it was like really torturous, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is that like?" And and I think it was so it was boiling hot as well. The whole shoot was boiling hot, which I, you know was just crazy. It was like it was electricity. We touched people, wow. and you were like, Shh, you know, and it was like strange, you know, kind of oppressive heat. That kind of I think was well the sweaty, grimy nature of that shoot went into it a bit. Um, but yeah, I, ju- I just was like, God, I'm you know, I need to know what he's going through, like you know, and I, and I just went into the pool, and it was you know. Baltic and I was like oh my god <laughs> I think that I don't know I think you've got to put yourself in the position of especially when it's unknown territory like what's it feel like to hold a gun what's it feel like to do you know like does this feel dumb or do you know like and all that sort of stuff and I think like it kind of I mean he found it hilarious you know like but actually it was it was even though it was disgusting in that water it was like I came, I came out and it was like because it is one of those you dip yourself in ice cold water um, I felt amazing afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was like, uh, you know, there was, we were building a trust. It doesn't happen overnight, but that prep time and then shooting and then, you know, I, I knew when he felt that, you know, he, there was sometimes he sort of, after a take or something, will be sometimes like slightly beating himself up. You can hear him like kind of like, what's he saying? What's he, you know? Um, and so he's always sort of testing himself, stretching, you know, like seeing if he can do something he wouldn't ever articulate this and he'd yeah. hate me to say it, you know, like, but almost like beating himself up, yeah. you know, like, you know, to get, you know, to, it's kind of like, you know, and um, it, sometimes it would freak me out, but then the other, time, the other times it would just kind of be like, you know, um, it was always just like, let's, let's try something better. Yeah. Let's, try, let's try and get better, you know, yeah. and that, that, that's a beautiful creative kind of place to be in. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. I mean, he's a, he's a very different... I don't know if action hero is the term, but he's a very different <laughs> one of those than we've seen before. Action man, I don't even know if that's the right word. No, he's a schlubby, middle-aged, yeah. you know, spread, like, kind of totally, like, on the edges of insanity. I don't know what he is. He's like, I don't think this film, can, you know, when you see a synopsis of this film, I think it does it a disservice. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even want a syn- synopsis for this <laughs> when they were asking. I was like, that sounds crap, you know, like, it's, and it, that's not this film. And, yeah, you can, you know, read that and go, yeah, yeah, it's a bit like this movie and yeah. it's a bit like this movie, but it's not, you know what I mean? It's it's a really experiential movie. I think you have to see it. And I wish it just said, enjoy the trip or, you know, yeah. <laughs> or fasten your seatbelts. I don't know, something like that, because it's not, I, you can't really sort of define it. And, and that, that's kind of why I make films. Yeah. And they're not sort of, you know, they, it's much easier. I don't know, to me, it's like talking about them kind of diminishes them yeah. a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. th- th- this is it. I mean, the, the synopsis makes it sound like John Wick, which is no bad thing. No, I love John no, Wick. John, you know, I'm all for it as well. Um, yeah, know, but, but, but in, in reality, I, mean, I, th- I thought what was fascinating about your approach to violence in this film is that it's so much more about the preparation for violence and the aftermath mm-hmm. of violence mm-hmm. and so much less about mm-hmm. person, hitting, person A hitting person B with item C. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind of way of looking at it. Yeah, I guess it was like, you know, we were, you know, funnily enough, I was at, I was at Dublin Film Festival and I was like, um, and, I, and there were people were asking me about, about violence. And I was like, I don't like violent films. I said, and they always started laughing after seeing this. <laughs> but what I meant by that was like, you know, 
it's, I mean, I enjoy, you know, the biggest, dumbest action film as much as the next person, and that's great. And you know, it's, it's funny to watch that. But this was like, you know, this was a kind of a kind of trip within the psyche of this guy falling apart, you know. And, and I think I still wanted to make it exciting and compelling, and that you don't know what's going to happen next. But it became, I think it's more of a psychological violence. But that beats you up a hell of a lot more than physical stuff does, you know. Yeah. And what you and what you don't really know as well, and what you. What you don't see um, is so potent, you mm-hmm. know, because we see everything these days, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, that goes for, you know, you, you drop more than hints, but less than mm. full on backstory about his background. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's he's a man who's been through the mill already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very badly. Well, violence always comes from a place, doesn't yeah. it? It's like a kind of cyclical thing. It's like, you know, it's in the family, it's in the war, it's in the, you know, wars become wars. Become, you know, like, so it, it, to me, that was, and that was in, there was elements of that in the book, you know, but to me, it's this sort of traumatised guy, you know, that that's kind of given up, like the walking dead in a way, that comes yeah. back to life and, you know, he's not the the, sh- the knight in shining armor. You know, rescuing the girl, he can hardly save himself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and then something, something hopeful, I think, in it as well. And like the, the way I see, it anyhow, is that he, he somehow comes back to the present tense. You know? Yeah. I, I wanted to ask a little bit about some of your other work. Um, yeah. I mean, Ezra Miller obviously was your star on. We need to talk mm. about Kevin. Kind of your discovery, really. Mm. Um, did you ever expect him to to kind of go as you know starry oh, yeah. as he has? <laughs> Well, Ash is amazing. I mean, he's a super bright kid. And, you know, he'd been in a really good um, film, what was it called, After School as well. So to be, to, you know, give another, I think it's another really good director who did that. Um, and a great DP called Jodie Lee Lights who shot that. But I'd, I met him when he was 15 and you just, you, I, you would never know. He's like such a smart kid. He'd mm. read so much. And I, you know, he's got real charisma, but, you know, he really... I don't know, he's so, again, like, a bit like Joaquin, there's so many aspects to him, and, and um, I just feel like he plays, you know, I, I knew that, he had a, he, you can just, he walks into the room and you can't take your eyes off him, he's like a magnetic presence, and I kind of like, um, and he, I, I remember Kevin, he, I think he came in 50, he just, one day, I think it was a Saturday, like, I was, you know, I was going out with my man at the time and, like, uh, he was sitting in the hallway and he goes, isn't there an audition today? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? But like, I think he just wanted to come and hang out, you know. He was going to get that part, you know. <laughs> uh, but, and also when he met Tilda, the two of them looked like kind of twins, like, the, 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 you know, she's the albino kind of, the blonde, you know what I mean? But they, they, they kind of were almost like they had a kind of like repulsion but also this kind of gravitation towards each other and I've got a brilliant photograph where the two of them are looking away from each other and it's just like it's like a Gemini kind of thing it's really crazy and um so I knew, I knew the minute I met him and it doesn't surprise me a bit I mean you know he's like you know but he's yeah. in a band as well he's like really yeah. his music he's a brilliant drummer yeah he started it all in opera. I mean, he's just this immensely talented kid with really cool parents. Like his mum is amazing. Like she, I think one of the first films he did, she cooked all the dinner, the meals for the crew, and wow. just like a really sort of grounded kid. So he's not like the singing dance, you know. Like was, I yeah. don't think I think he that is like you know sometimes you go to audition play, you know. There's a few I went to where the mums and dads are kind of like coaching the kids and stuff. You could make a documentary in those places. I mean, he just like, I think he was gravity, you know, what he wanted to do and mm-hmm. like, and, and um, 
no, I mean, I'd love to make something else for you. Do you know, we speak in the email and like, you know, let's let's do something. You know, he's like, when are we going to take over the world? You know, kind of. <laughs> so but no, he's and he's he's just super, super smart. But he's got more things in his life than just acting yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's never done a part like that since. Actually, he hasn't done anything yeah. quite as. Yeah. You know, on edge or as, yeah. as disturbing as that sense. Well, he was great because he came along with all the little kids in that film. Mm. I mean, because um, you know it was quite a casting feat that, and Billy Hawkins' casting director was amazing because we found really a light Kevin's. But Ezra came every day; he didn't just turn up, and he could turn up. He was there studying the younger Kevin's and, and stuff mm. like that. And also he helped me a lot because like the, the little kid was called Rocky Jr. He was only three or something or four, the very, very first yeah. Kevin. And he, that kid took direction amazingly. I just said, can you do this, can you do that? And he was he's a great kid and he hardly said anything. Um, and then the day you had to wear diapers because Kevin wears diapers until he's six or something yeah. like that. He's like, I'm not a baby. And he had a meltdown and... <sighs> Ezra came and saved the day and took him for a walk and told him, you know, like, I think he was like telling him what he'd get him for Christmas or something. I don't know, bribing this poor kid. But, but, um, but, but all, all those, um, you know, the, the whole cast of those different Kevins, like, the, you know, were really, Ezra was, was there for those sort of kids. He was, he was a leader oh. of the Kevins, but I've got a brilliant photo of me, Tilda. She, when she's giving birth, actually, it's in the hospital, but it's me and all the Kevins and Tilda, you know. <laughs> and they're just like, it's just a bit, you know, I think Billy did an amazing job. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. But yeah, he was really present in that and really, you know, the, the two of them. Yeah. It was a brilliant shoot, that. Yeah. John C. Reilly as well. It was amazing. We were cooking together in that, that well, film, you know. I was going to say, you I know. mean, the fact that Tilda and John yeah. are your your child's grand, mm-hmm. uh, god, godparents, I believe, yeah. which, which suggests that it's a happier shoot than the film <laughs> would suggest. Well, it was so intense, that movie, that it yeah. was just such a... But, but I, we read such a laugh. I mean, Seamus McGarvey as well, mm-hmm. the DP, is amazing. so. Yeah. We were all in Connecticut, and the thing w- w- was really nice about it was the kind of, like, you know, normally at the weekends you want the time to yourself, but, like, this was, like, you know, we'd, they would all cook together, we'd all get together and make something, you know, yeah. spend time all the time together. So it was, it was a bit of a commune, that film. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So um, what have you got planned for your, for your next film? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Need to stop talking about this one first. Well, I suppose yeah. that's probably, yeah, probably like a week off. Do you think a week yeah, and then you can go straight maybe, to the next one? Yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and yeah. uh, any any desire to do a big like blockbuster or, or you know something very different next time? Or are you? Oh yeah, comedy, comedy. love story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> romantic comedy. Rom com, I would totally watch. I mean, the rom com is kind of dead right now. We need somebody yeah, to bring I it back. That, yeah, well, watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. All right, time now for the reviews. That was Lynn Ramsey. So we're going to start off with Lynn Ramsey's film, You Were Never Really Here. Uh, Nick, you and I are in complete disagreement on this one, aren't we, pretty much? But this is the uh, the tale of Joaquin Phoenix, who plays Joe, something of a disheveled, slightly suicidal enforcer, I would say, rather than a hitman. Uh, he doesn't have much to live for except for his aging mother. And then he gets an assignment, shall we say. He, uh, that means he, ha- he has to rescue a young girl from the clutches of some badens. And usual standard action thriller stuff unfolds, except this is Lynn Ramsey, so it doesn't. It's a standard Joaquin Phoenix knockabout romp. It's, um, <laughs> it's very lighthearted. No, this is, this is pretty short film. It's like 93 minutes or something, but it is, it is full on. It's an intense experience. I'm kind of glad it wasn't any longer than that. Um, I admired it. I didn't enjoy it. Let's say that. I, I don't think I will ever watch it again. 
it's it's well directed. Yeah, and brilliant performance. Um, I just didn't. I, I felt like I'd seen this kind of film many times before. I think you've, you've you've seen the basic plot many times before. It has uh, overtones of Taken. It has overtones of John Wick. Standard one man enforcer going after a bunch of bad guys. Uh, even you know you could even trace that back all the way to Arnold Schwarzenegger, or or you could go even further back to the likes of Lee Marvin movies. You know, it Taxi has, Driver has point blank, but it has heavy overtones of Taxi Driver. I mean, heavy overtones of Taxi Driver. But for me, this feels like Taken or John Wick if it were a horror film. And this movie really deeply unnerved me and deeply unsettled me. It is shot in a really uh, elliptical way by Lynn Ramsey, shot and edited with really discordant rhythms. It has this great Johnny Greenwood score. Mm. That is one Tom York away from being the next Radiohead album for me. <laughs> oh, God. You know, it has... It's not quite... Welcome back to the podcast booth, Tom York. Ah, he just popped in. He just he's just gone again. He's, he's gone, gone again. again. The thing about Tom York, he can't pin him down. Even now, he's scuttling around the room. Tom, <laughs> come on, Tom, be gone, be gone, Tom York. Back in your corner. Back in your corner, Tom York. And uh, but I thought this film was terrific. I saw this on two hours sleep post Oscars uh, blowout, and uh, it should have freaked me out, but it didn't. Uh, but I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. Really, I think it's absolutely terrific. Uh, every time it it threatens to go down that conventional Taken slash John Wick, uh, Man Out for Vengeance, Man on Fire is another film that, that comes to mind for me here. Uh, every time it threatens to go down that conventional avenue, it doesn't. All the action scenes are shot in a way that is not exhilarating. You don't get any joy or pleasure from the violence here. Uh, and I think Joaquin Phoenix and his big rockin' dad bod, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Joaquin Phoenix. I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now. I'll say it. I'll say it on the air. This is this is now and forevermore. I can take or leave him, but I thought he was terrific in this, and I can see why he won the Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. He has got a bit of a belly in this one, hasn't he? I thought it was like looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> mm. The moments when he's got his shirt off and tats aside, it was like basically looking at my own bod and yes. maybe the bulging biceps. If you could put your shirt back on, that would that would be that would be nice. Um, yeah, and it, well, he can, he can grow a beard as well, can't he? Whereas I I can't. I can never fill in the gaps between my ears. The rest of it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it feels like a kind of Sin City story in a way, in terms of the plot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in style, it's kind of the absolute anti that. It's not slick, it's not glossy, it's very, very realistic and gritty and a kind of unpleasant, a lot of it. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I admired it, I respected it, but I don't think I'm going to come back to it. And I just, It's all right, man. It's not know. for everybody. Sorry, Wackim. You were never really here for it, you were never really here. That's okay, that's fine. But I thought it was terrific. And we gave it as the magazine. The entity that is Empire Magazine gave it four stars. And honestly, if I were if you put a if you were to put a hammer to my head, as Wacking Phoenix does to many people in this movie, I might even want to add a fifth to that. Seriously. It's in it's in my top ten of the year so far. I will say I've only seen ten films. But it's in there. No, I'm kidding. I've I like the poster. Which makes it look like Whacking Phoenix is joining the Godzilla monster universe. <laughs> it's just a giant, a giant Whacking Phoenix hovering above a city. Phoenix Scylla. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's terrific, but I, I will say you're absolutely right. I don't think it's going to be for everybody. And if you're going along expecting this to be a ram bam action thriller, you're not going to get it at all. This is a, a deep dive into a very fractured psyche. But I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Four stars then for You Were Never Really Here. And uh, four stars also for Gringo. 
Only I've seen this film, so I will talk about it uh, as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, this is very heavily influenced, for me anyway, by Pulp Fiction. It's been a long, long time since we had a Tarantino homage. Uh, when Pulp Fiction came out, when Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction came, back, uh, came out back in the, uh, in the mid-90s, you couldn't move for Tarantino knockoffs, rip-offs, homages and, uh, and loving doffs of the cap. It's been a while, though, since we've had one, one of those great ensemble movies where a bunch of people get involved in crime and there's a lot of pop culture references. There's a Mexican drug lord in this movie who talks about the Beatles. Uh, he says, Nick, that Sgt. Pepper is the best Beatles album. Mm. Where, would, where do you stand on that? I'm an Abbey Road man. I'm an Abbey Road man. Firmly. Yeah. No, no I don't know. It's too it's, psychedelic, man. It's the medley, right? The medley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The end, the drum yeah. solo. Yeah. All of it. Golden it's, Slumbers. God, ah, such so so good, so good. The medley's fantastic. I mean, there's a couple of tracks on on Abbey Road. Honestly, I could take or leave. Oh, darling, that sort of fifties pastiche that, that McCartney does. Mm-hmm. I could take or leave that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it has probably Harrison's two best songs. It has something, the greatest love song of the twentieth century, and Here Comes the Sun, which is amazing. It has mm-hmm. come together. It's got Maxwell Silverhammer, it which is, is deeply, Silver. deeply upsetting. That's kind of the you're not here. <laughs> You, you were never really you, you were never really here of, of Abbey Road, isn't it? It's yeah. um, and I still need to watch the film where Steve Martin plays Maxwell and goes around. Sorry, Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yes, it's a terrible, still terrible need film. To see it. It's it's on YouTube. I will go and watch it after this. It's so bad, you can't believe you're actually uh, that anyone actually thought this was a good idea. Uh, what were you talking about, Gringo? Yes, <laughs> I haven't Gringo. seen it, so you know you haven't seen it, so it's fine. But yeah, so the Mexican you're you're confronted by a Mexican drug lord. The Mexican drug lord is basically saying, uh, Sergeant Pepper's the best Beatles album. Do you agree?" and I don't agree with that. But if a gun was pointed to my head, I, I'd yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'd totally agree. It's fantastic. It's a great album. It's a great album. It's got a lot of good stuff. So Gringo itself is uh, the directorial debut, full directorial debut of Nash Edgerton, who is the brother of Joel Edgerton and is an actor and a stunt performer, interestingly, in his own right, and uh, has made a number of notable shorts over the last few years. Uh, and I believe he's making his bones as well as a bit of a writer, but here he doesn't write this. Uh, but this is, uh, I think, a very strong, fun directorial debut feels very Tarantino-y uh, it's, but un, unlike Pulp Fiction it is centred around one person in particular and that is Harold as we heard earlier on played by David Oyelowo and uh, he is very good in this movie very funny very sympathetic uh, but he also is very very funny but this movie honestly belongs to Charlize Theron who mm. is extraordinary uh, she is playing one of the wickedest most evil uh, sociopaths you will see in a long, long time, and uh, everything that comes out of her mouth is isn't just borderline offensive; it is offensive. Uh, it's some extraordinary one-liners, and she is clearly having the time of her life, just being the nastiest, most horrible, most venal person you can possibly think of. Uh, there are also good performances from the likes of Amanda Seyfried, although she's not really given a lot to do. And uh, Joel Edgerton, who I believe knows Nash Edgerton, I believe they met when they became brothers, and Charlotte Copley. Ooh. Uh, Charlotte Copley, uh, who's not for once doing a South African accent in this, he's doing an American accent and doing a damn fine job of it as well. Uh, so it's a bunch of likeable characters, in, and Charlie's Theron's character, in, in a sort of sweaty Mexican set thriller with lots of coincidences and convergences. It doesn't quite reach the heights of Tarantino, but very little does. Mm. Yes, four stars for Gringo. Okay, because I had a lot of fun. I laughed a lot. It's uh, it's pitch black at times, um, but if you like hearing David Oyelowo scream, then this is the movie for you. <laughs> what? 
he does a very funny scream. Is that a thing that, that people enjoy? People, the people love it. The people, love, I love honestly, to hear David Yellowo scream. Have you never been on the tube and someone would just <laughs> tap you on the shoulder and go, "You know, what I really like. I like to hear David Yellowo scream." That has happened to me, but it was you this morning. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, this, this and we is, don't this even have the same then. route into work, so we it don't. Was especially we don't. weird. We used to. We used to back yeah. when we were actual neighbours. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <sighs> they were heady times. They were great <laughs> times. Getting a W three and oh. let's talk about mum and dad. I don't know. We had different parents, Nick. <laughs> I don't know the film. The film, Mum and Dad. Oh, the film, Mum and Dad. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah we yeah. should we should do that. Yeah. So, what do you what do you what do you want to say about it? I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I think Great. I think 2018 is shaping up to be a very solid year for Nick Cage uh, fans. Um, I'm very excited about this film called Mandy, which looks completely insane. Mm. Um, where it's got a uh, a green uh, imp like character named the Cheddar Goblin, <laughs> co-starring with Nicolas Cage. What I've heard about that film has got me very excited. And first, we get this one, which is directed by um, one half of the Neville Dean Taylor duo, yes. who made the Crank films and uh, yes. Ghost Rider 2, yeah. to lesser effect, with yes. Nick Cage. And, um, this is Brian Taylor. This is Brian Taylor. Just to be Taylor. absolutely clear. <laughs> yeah, just to actually give some information. It's, uh, it's kind of chaotic. It's, um, it's not a great film, but there's a lot of fun to be had here if you enjoy watching Nicolas Cage going absolutely bonkers and yeah. crazy and threatening people with DIY tools. Yeah, so the uh, basic plot of the film is that uh, Nick Cage and Selma Blair, who is also very, very good in this film, are are doting parents of uh, a teenage girl and a younger boy and then a virus is unleashed upon, as far as we can tell, the whole world, but it might not be, uh, that turns parents into homicidal maniacs who want to kill, and this is the important bit, only want to kill their own offspring. Uh, anyone else's kids... Totally fine. Yeah. So you get some really funny, dark comedic scenes here of parents who have just killed their, their kids in the most brutal, horrific way. And they're smiling at other people as if nothing has happened, as if all they've done is maybe just taken a bite out of an apple. It's a really good premise. It feels like something that Stephen King or James Herbert, one of those writers, might have come up with. It feels yeah. like a missing book from one of those guys. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like a... Yeah, it almost feels like it is an offcut from the novel version of Cell and not the dreadful yeah. film version. Uh but but much more but much more comedic. And the shining, there's a bit of shining in there, especially in the second half of the film where the parents are just chasing their kids around um the house. It it turns into a very contained story and the second half of the film is all set inside the family house. And what's kind of fun about it is that the parents don't just turn into complete rage monsters. They're still yeah. chatting to each other about domestic well, I, chores and things. It brings them together again, doesn't it? Because yeah. at the beginning of the movie, they're slightly fractured. And you have this nice satirical idea that this is the thing that yeah. brings them back together yeah. again yeah. and rekindles their love for each other. It's got loads of ideas. I, yeah. I, he's chuckling loads of plates, Brian Taylor, and it's often very funny, but don't think he quite brings it home. There's a, the, for me. There's a fantastic, um, I won't say twist, but there's, there's something that happens about 10 minutes from the end, which... I hadn't seen coming, but I should have. And um, I won't say any more about it, but I thought that was one of the highlights of the film. But yeah, the, the very ending doesn't quite. It just sort of peters out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the credits of the movie might give away the twist, if it's a twist well, that I'm thinking of. just don't look at the credits. Well, it's don't kind of hard. It's don't opening, look, it's don't opening. look at them. Shut don't, your eyes. Don't, yeah, shut your eyes in case that is the thing that gives you the, the kill virus. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, so overall, three stars. And as we said yeah. in the Empire podcast, that is a recommendation. And uh, I did have quite a lot of fun with mom and dad, which is which is great. Ha- well done, me. Also out this week uh, is the British wrestling comedy Walk Like a Panther, which uh, sadly doesn't. Uh, it is uh, not that great. Two stars for Walk Like a Panther. 
clearly there is room for only one good film with the word Panther in the title at the moment, and that is, of course, Black Panther, so go and see that instead. There's a documentary produced by Susan Sarandon about Hedy Lamar, and I'm disappointed in both of you for not saying Hedley Lamar. Come on, guys. I'll do that again. And I want you to... Okay. There's also a documentary uh, called Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. Hedley? Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't understand the reference. It's from Blazing Saddles. I oh, I haven't seen Harvey, that in like 30 years. Harvey Corman's... And I'm so glad of you to... It's so nice of you to speak for the first time in 15 minutes, James. It's almost as if you <laughs> just walked it's in. It's almost as if yeah. I hadn't been here yeah, and yeah, I've just This is going to ruin the magic because... You're going to be in the rest of the podcast. It's I know. Confusing. It's, but it's, is he? Oh, I don't know. It's I, ironic, isn't I've it? Got the power. I wasn't here. Now I'm here. But well, when we go back to the beginning, I will be here again. But of course, you listened to that, so I was yeah. there. Well, this is a bombshell. Talking of which, can you finish that review? Yes, bombshell. <laughs> Hedy Lamar uh, story, which is a, a documentary about how Hedy Lamar, who was considered one of the most uh, glamorous of Hollywood's golden age stars, uh, struggled in her career, but was also a bit of a brain box and and came up with loads of inventions, including the base technology and the base idea behind Wi-Fi. I knew would that. You, would you believe? I didn't know that. So that was that's a big thing, uh, and. Harvey Corman in Blazing Saddles, his character is called Hedley Lamar. And and constantly throughout the movie, people say to him, Hedy Lamar. He always goes, Hedley Lamar. And it's a funny joke. Yeah. It's no space balls. <laughs> Three stars in for Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by a double whammy of double whammies as director Garth Davis and star Rooney Mara talk Mary Magdalene. And I get very silly indeed with Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. And it's goodbye slash hello from James. Hello and, and goodbye. And hello again, because we're now going to do the beginning. You were never really here. I was never really here. <laughs> you were actually never here, but you were never really here. <laughs> Yeah. We don't just throw this stuff together on the Empire Podcast. This is all cleverly prepared in advance. Uh, James texted me about 10 minutes before we started going, I'm not going to make it, do the reviews first, because I haven't seen any of the films. So we did. Anyway. Uh, and it's, it's like Pulp Fiction, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. This is our Pulp Fiction. We've put the structure together very yeah. carefully. Bring out the uh, gimp. It's uh, goodbye from me. I'm off to get some sleep after the Oscars, but I will leave you with the haunting strains of the song that was rejected by Luca Guadagnino uh, for Call Me By Your Name's end credit sequence. And this is uh, this is a, a, an unknown artist with the uh, the title track, "Call Me by Your Name." Oh God! Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Call me by your name. Call me, call me, call me by your name. Oh yeah! Christmas it, number one. <laughs> Christmas number one. An intervention. Is the terrifying part is that is uh, that is such an earworm. I have had it in my head. All week since you first did it. Just saying to Chris, I went to sleep last night with that in my head and woke up and it was still going around (laughs) my head. It's horrific. Call me by your name. Call me, call me. Tell you, Christmas number one. Earworm. It's happening. Thanks for listening. Bye.